0: A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away.
1: to study your word. We pray now for your grace to not only listen to this word, but to desire what you say. To trust that you are sovereign and you know what's right and that you order the seasons of our lives. Father, I pray for those that are in a difficult season right now, that even today your grace would be evident to them. I pray for those that are seeking wisdom to know what to do in the season that they're in, that you would Provide that through your spirit and your word. And Father, we do rejoice that all that you do endures. Nothing needs to be added or taken from it. It's perfect. and Father, we are grateful that the work that you have done for us in Christ will remain forever. There is no threat to that. I pray now that you would use your word in our lives, as always, not just to inform us, but to transform us, to change us we would live what you show us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been walking through the uh, book of Ecclesiastes, and today we pick up the but now there's a time and there's, a so, all right, by way of review for uh, the five of us that are here this morning, we are grateful for our Memorial Day crown. We're grateful uh, that you've chosen to be here. We've been walking through Ecclesiastes and there we are. Good. Now it just sounds like I have a list. All right. Good. All right. We'll work through that. We've been trying to walk through Ecclesiastes and we started in chapter one where we learned this. Everything without Jesus is meaningless. So repeat after me. Everything Everything without Jesus Jesus is is meaningless. So in order for things to have meaning or significance or lasting value, ultimately that comes only through Jesus. And so without him, everything is meaningless. And the reason is because nothing fully satisfies and nothing completely saves. So nothing besides Jesus or no one fully satisfies, nor does it completely save. So his thesis is that vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And then what he does through the book of Ecclesiastes is he raises a contender uh, and then tries to show you why that is not a qualified contender ultimately to satisfy or to save. And the three that we've looked at so far are wisdom, pleasure, and work and he has shown us that neither wisdom nor pleasure nor work can fully satisfy. They can't save us from death. None of these also provide the righteousness that we need to stand in front of God one day to be in his presence forever. So through them, there's no lasting gain. That's what he wants to know. What can we gain under the sun? And even through these that are really good, wisdom, pleasure, work, there's still no righteousness and no lasting value. And One of the things that we've seen is that wisdom and pleasure and work, they're gifts that are intended to further our joy in God, but not just in themselves. They were meant to be means and not ends. Of course, we said last week that we need to stop expecting from gifts what only the giver can provide. Today, he raises up a new challenger, a new contender, And it's the contender of time or the seasons of life. But as he has shown with wisdom and pleasure and work, he's going to show again why even the different seasons of life or time fail to satisfy or to completely save, that they fall short. And so they themselves do not provide lasting gain. So in chapter one, everything is meaningless. In chapter two, the American dream is meaningless without Jesus. And now in chapter 3, even time itself is meaningless without Jesus. Difficult seasons would just be arbitrary without Jesus doing something in them. They would just be dreadful and miserable. And so what he wants to do is to, to show us where meaning is to be found. And that's in the Lord. And we'll get there. But one question I want to ask is a sort of review and application How is what we are learning impacting how we're living? How is what we are learning impacting how we are living? So one question I would ask, what, if anything, is different about our lives since starting our study in Ecclesiastes? Or hearing Kevin's sermon from Hebrews about not neglecting so great a salvation? Or the, the Mother's Day sermon of finding our ultimate identity in Christ? What if anything in our life is different after encountering God's word in these texts and in these passages? Is there any way we've taken the gifts from God and made them into little gods, but we've repented of that, and now uh, it's impacted our week? In what ways this week did we respond with gratitude to God for the gifts he gave us rather than just enjoying the gifts? And then when we left off last week, what we saw is the one who pleases God gets everything— But the one who does not please God will lose everything. So those in Christ will be given all, will have everything. But those who are not in Christ will lose all and will have nothing. Surely that prompted a conversation in our lives this week, right? Surely we were gripped with gospel urgency to tell someone, once again, the good news of Christ. What I'm praying is that God would grant every grace we need so that what we learn impacts how we live receiving the word in this room on Sundays was never meant to be an end in itself. But it was meant to be a means to the end of us living the word, the word echoing throughout our week and being evident in our lives. So even as we start today, just, just asking, is what we are learning impacting our lives? Is what we pray that we would be transformed and not just informed? Is there any way God's already used Ecclesiastes in that or Ephesians or Hebrews? Hebrews? With that being said, before we jump into chapter 3, I want to give you a picture in a sense of chapter 3. And I need four volunteers. I'd actually love if we could get maybe two students versus two adults in this. Uh, so, any volunteers? All right, well, there's Arabella, of course. Raise her. Is there another student who wants to... Uh, I mean more of a youth. Thank you, Maisie. Is there more of a youth? Look at all the initiative. Look at all the initiative. Anyone? Any youth? Where are youth? It's Someone. All right. Ben. Good. Benjamin's still a youth we'll, through this summer. Yeah, we'll take it. All right. Two adults. Two adults that would volunteer. These should be easier to find, right? Yes. All right, Jordan. Come on, Jordan. All right. Someone else? Good, Susan. All right. Uh, Jordan and Benjamin, if you guys will grab that table and just move it right up here. And then uh, Benjamin and Arabella are going to be on team And then Jordan and Susan are going to be on the team You just pick a bag at either end You guys, yeah, good, just move this here Alright, I'm going to give you 80 seconds And look, I'll ruin the surprise It's a puzzle, in case you can't tell that from the bags And I know that you guys can't see that out there I'm going to give you guys, there's 100 pieces in there I'm going to give you 80 seconds That seems fair Uh, to try to put as many pieces of these puzzles together as you can, all right? Uh, Susan's already got a good strategy. She opened the bag. Some would call that cheating, but Susan, it was opportune. That's right. Do they have to fit perfect? I mean, the idea is to put the puzzle together, to put the puzzle together. We're not going for, who is Who is is it, Picasso that has all the jigsaw jacked up pictures, the paintings that don't make sense? Let's not do Picasso today. All right, I'll give you 80 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Let's see how they do. And in order to help them, I'll just provide some background music. (laughs) second mark. I couldn't do the math, so 50 seconds difference. You get help? You can, can you get help? You can ask Jesus for all the help you want. Even now, Jesus, bring these puzzle pieces together. Or maybe an honor Memorial Day. We could do going to remember from this sermon is remember the time he beatboxed through the whole sermon? Yes. Hey guys, you're doing great. You got five seconds. You're doing great. You're doing great. you have any connected, Arabella and Benjamin? You'll just have them all turned over. <laughs> give you a little second. Give you a, few, give you a few moments. How's Susan and Jordan doing? I can't see over there. Are they connecting? Them? Knocking it out? Susan's doing great. Susan's doing great. All right. I'm gonna give you 10 seconds. Let's count it down, everybody. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right. Stop. Count how many pieces you have uh, connected together there. <laughs> well, let let, uh, let me rephrase that. Count the number of pieces that go together that you have connected together. <laughs> And those, those two, all right. I don't know if this one does. All right. Well, it uh, looks a little shady, all right? But we'll be gracious today. All right, what about you guys? How many did y'all have?
0: We
1: got eight. Eight, all right. And 80, like, that was actually more like 100 seconds. Actually, it was a minute and 49 seconds. It felt like eternity, but... Uh, uh, so you guys had eight, and you guys had five. You guys at least, you did a good job of getting them over. Let me ask you a couple questions then as a means of following up here. Was it difficult since you didn't even know what the picture was? Was there any difficulty in that? All right. You could tell it was Star Wars. Good. There, There's a Star Wars, and this one is I know, no, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man and Iron Man, right? Just as the Lord would ordain this morning. All right, so... One was Star Wars, one was uh, Spider-Man or Iron Man, all right. Did you get to decide which pieces fit best together? No, why not? Why didn't you get to decide which pieces went best together? What's that? They were already planned to go together. All right, they They've already planned to go together. Someone else planned and cut the pieces and designed, all right. How did you decide which pieces to use first? What was your strategy, Susan? Yeah, yeah. Looking for the corners. Any other strategy, Jordan? Man, <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to get some colors that looked like they were
0: somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's all right, man. See, it was it was good effort. i meant I should have asked if anyone was colorblind before we started this. I guess that would have been helpful. In the puzzles that you have, there is each piece needed. Maybe, all right, you don't know if those are the right pieces or if I sabotaged it right, threw in some extra ones, all right, (laughs) all right, got thrown over in the flurry, all right, and we've already said you don't get to decide what the end result will look like, do you, it's hard to determine there, all right, so then here's the toughest question then, how could any of this relate to God and us and the seasons of life that we experience, anything come to mind? Don't try to do your life puzzle in 80 seconds. There's great wisdom in that. That's great wisdom, George. We'll just move on to the conclusion, Mitch. That's very good. Anything, Susan or Arabella or Benjamin, you'd add to that? Well, God designed it. He, he has the master plan. All right. so
0: he, knows the, he already knows how it's going
1: to go together. Right. He does. Good. guess no, that's Good. No, well, that's where Solomon's going. Yeah, it's good. All right. Anything else, Benjamin or Arabella, you'd add? Or Lairlyn? <laughs> and you what? I was that missing piece of puzzle from down by the creek bank. Oh, back to childhood. All right. It's like God you together, you're puzzle together. All right. Alistair said it's like God putting you together, but you're putting a puzzle together. All right. right. Benjamin, you seemed like something you were going to say. What was it? That's exactly right, just because you don't know what that picture is. Susan, what were you going to add? Uh, okay. That's all right. I guess because we don't know that it's what it's going to look like. I don't want to be saying, but still that, that God has a plan. He knows what it is, so we can trust that it's all going to go together. In some way. That's right. Good. We'll give these guys a hand. Thank you for coming up and being able to do that. Jordan and Benjamin, if you'll just move that table back over to the side. Sure. Don't want to block anyone in case they want tithe later on gibson has said in his book on ecclesiastes that we have all the pieces of our life given to us and things come and go and seasons change and it's only god who knows exactly where everything is meant to go in which order at what time and why so let me say it again we have all the pieces of our life given to us you don't have to bag them up guys we'll we'll do that thank you thanks for going the extra mile look at that bear that in mind for our next illustrations Uh, We have all the pieces of our life given to us, and things come and go, and seasons change. And it's only God who knows exactly where everything is meant to go, in which order, at what time, and why. He goes on to say, in our lives, God puts all the right pieces in all the right places at all the right times. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? It doesn't feel like it's the right piece. And I'm looking at Casey, you know, as... As you're you're planning to move over and workers are leaving and housing arrangements are falling through, it can seem like something's not right about this timing or this peace. If we were to put Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15 in a sentence, it's at the top of your notes there. The futility of the seasons is meant to drive us to the fear of the Lord so that we may be joyful and do good as we trust the one who works every season for our good and his glory. So one more time, the futility of the seasons is meant to drive us to the fear of the Lord so that we may be joyful and do good as we trust the one who works every season for our good and his glory. We will break this text down into three chunks, verses one through eight, or obviously one portion, and then verses nine through 13, and then we'll close with 14 and 15. A couple truths I want to share with you. Number one is that we need God's grace to recognize, receive, and rejoice in each season of life. Knowing that none are arbitrary, but all are lovingly appointed by our Father. It's important to remember that last part in particular, that all are lovingly appointed. But we need that grace to recognize which one we're in, to receive that season, and then even to rejoice through that. Verse 1 begins and says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Well, who's determining that? Who's deciding which is the time limit for this season and which season happens next and these sorts of things and we're going to see in, in a moment verse 11 says he's made everything beautiful in his time so that we know that it's the Lord who's doing this but what we see is that in our lives there are many seasons and God is sovereign over each one of them appointing them each order and in each way that he does he always has done this and he always will do this there's a purpose that he has in the ordering. For some of us, the seasons are going to be here. In 2 through 8, this isn't a chronological order. So this isn't zigzag. So, you, so you're so you not going to, time to born and time to die. That is sort of a summary. And then what comes next is, is what's in between here. of What happens in life representative. There are, there are 14 lines of this. So there are 28 polar lines opposite so a time to be born a time to die a time to kill a time to heal and and the way they're written is a means to summarize everything that happens between those so it's not just the the far left and the far right but but all of these that come together It's a skillful way of emphasizing the totality of things that are contained in human life. And as many of us have already found, life is complex. There are good times. There are hard times. And how many of you found there are just meh times? You found that? It's not just good. It's not just bad. It's kind of in between. There are choices, decisions. And in some of these seasons, wisdom just seems to escape us. What do I do here? What's the right step for our family? But in... Every one of these, God has appointed them, and they have a purpose. So what we need, then, is the grace to recognize what season we're in. When Tara and I got married, we got married in May of 2003, and we spent our first summer working centrifuge, just what every couple longs to do. And and we got to spend the whole, our whole first summer together in the new men's dorm at Mississippi College, special, right? You get to push those bunk beds together. And uh, one day we were playing a, a staff softball game against uh, one of the churches. And, and I looked and Tara had put the softball glove on her right hand. And I remember asking her, I said, do you, do you, what, do you, which hand do you throw with? And she said, my right hand. And I'm looking and the glove is on her right hand. And I said, "Have you done this before?" She said, "No, I've never, I've never caught with a glove. I just figured I'm right-handed, I put it on my right hand, you know." And uh, but here's the crazy thing: she ended up finding a glove for her left hand, and she caught a line drive, and she woo! It was a moment of celebration, right? Uh, and the thing is, she'd never played softball before. She'd never had the glove on. Uh, she she did have some friendships with baseball players, Madison. And, uh, and I remember one of the first times I actually came to Tupelo, we got to see one of her ex-boyfriends playing baseball on TV while I watched it on the couch. It was a, it was a good moment. See different seasons of life. And so I remember she in all of that, though, she'd never put uh, a glove on. She didn't know what to do in, in that experience. This week, we were out at Ballard Park on Thursday, and we were supposed to have uh, baseball games, but it was lightning everywhere, you know? And uh, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is this. Knowledge says it's lightning. Wisdom says let's get out of it, right? And so I'm amazed because there were like all these parents and baseball, just standing on the fields while lightning is coming down. We canceled our six-year-old game. It didn't matter what Park and Rec was going to do. We were canceling that game. Uh, And and then uh, we... uh, Fortunately, they called off the 7 o'clock game after people were running around everywhere. I was like, man, it's, it's just not that hard. There's a difference in knowing we play ball when there's sunshine versus we play ball in a lightning storm, right? That this weekend, there's a storm coming in the Gulf. How many of you would know that there's a different day at the beach when it's cloudless and beautiful versus when there's a hurricane coming for you? That We react different ways in different seasons. Eswine has written a book on Ecclesiastes, and one of the pictures he gives in helping understand the seasons are farmers. And he says a farmer has to know when it's time to harvest and when it's time to plant. And you can't get these reversed. Proverbs 10 says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And one of the things that Eswine notes is that the farmer may think, feel, or even desire otherwise have you ever been in a season and you wished it wasn't that season ever been in that season and you're like this is not what i want to do in this season so the farmer may think and feel and desire otherwise but the planting season comes and goes and the plow doesn't move without the farmer's hand so he may feel otherwise but there are responsibilities that he has in the season that god has ordained for him to do it we desperately need god's grace to know when to let go and when to embrace You see in 2 through 8, it says a time to be born, a time to die. But then a time to plant, a time to pluck up, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. We need to know, as it says, when do we search and when do we count it as lost? When do we weep and when do we laugh? We can be harmful by saying something and we can be harmful by being silent or we could be helpful by saying something or helpful by being silent. And we need God's grace to recognize which one of these do I need to do? Which season is this? Is this a time to speak up or a time to hold back? Is this a a time to look and search or is it a, a time to let go? Is it a time to embrace or a time not to do that? And we need his grace. We also need his grace not to expect from others what God is not empowering them to do. How many times have we given counsel to someone else? Oh, you should say something. But God may not have them say something at the point. Oh, you should do this. But that may not be what God is doing. We have to be careful of not trying to be experts uh, for others in their different seasons of life. Think about Job's counselors, right? Those were some busters, theologically. They, they were just busters. They, the best thing they did is when they sat silent and cried with him for seven days. When they began to try to figure it out is where the problem became revealed. And God finally says, who are these guys that darken counsel without knowledge? They're, just, they're speaking and they don't know what they're talking about. And we don't want to do that. We not only have seasons in our lives, but we're born into seasons within our generation. Think about Memorial Day. Think about the people who lived through World War I and World War II and the Korean War and Vietnam and even a Desert Storm in Iraq. They didn't choose to be born in those seasons. They didn't choose to be born in the time that was raging. So, we have different seasons in our life, but we're also in different seasons of what God is doing globally in accomplishing his plan. Think back to the Old Testament. Uh, wine gives the example of Ruth and Naomi. They lost their husbands, they endured famine, and they were in the middle of the time of the judges. And in case you've forgotten what the time of the judges it's when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So they had seasons of losing their husbands, but then nationally there were famines and then people who were doing just what was right in their own eyes. Generationally, we find ourselves in seasons we would not have chosen or facing circumstances that we wish were not ours to face. But whatever is happening generationally, that's not ours to determine. We just need prayer in order to help us to discern what is the time. What time are we living in Oh, how we need grace to navigate not just our journey, but also how to relate to others. One more here is that we need his grace not only to know when to do what, but how to do it. And here's the good word for you. When God gives you a season, he will give you the grace to know what to do in that season, how to respond. For instance, even when we weep or we grieve, we're not to do so without hope. We actually grieve with hope. So it's not just what we're to do, but how we're to do it. When we're, to, when we're angry, we're to be angry without what, church? Without sin is what we see in Ephesians. So in times for righteous anger, but even how that carries out. So it's not just what we're to do and when to do it, but also how to do it that God provides so we need God's grace to recognize what season is it? What time is it in my life? And what time is it in the world in which we live? What time is it in our city? And with regard to the gospel and his kingdom and what God's doing, what time is it? Then we need his grace to receive that season. I've asked this a little bit before, but how many of you have had seasons of life have left to your own? You would have never chosen for yourself. So different million different situations that could come that we would if we if we could have gotten away from it or not we we wouldn't have wanted to experience that but how many of us have found even in some of those seasons God has already shown glimmers of how he works it for his good and 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 his for our good and for his glory that we're there. Has there ever been something in your life that maybe you thought was insignificant? So maybe we look at these puzzle pieces and we think, ah, it's not a big deal. It's not even Spider-Man's face. It's just like the sky, right? And then we look at that piece and be like, oh, what a piece. I gotta spend time on this little thing, right? And so there are times in our lives that something seems insignificant only to find later that God uses it in a very significant way in our life. And it's where we trust his ordering and we don't rely on our own understanding to really know Which of these uh, that he's doing or how he will use it. In the list, the preacher provides items that could be both painful and full of pleasure. And if given our rathers, uh, we would avoid pain. I shared with the elders, I woke up this morning at 2.30 with a cramp in my thigh literally yelled out and then stood up and fell back on the bed. Tara's like, what's going on? You know, the dog who currently has a cone on his head was satelliting, you know, (laughs) you know, and, and so it was a reminder to me, if given my rathers, I rarely pick pain, right? I don't run for pleasure, right? It's painful. So I avoid running, you know, unless there's a snake. And so we avoid pain. But I want you to understand that the list isn't is clear cut even even when it says a time to kill and a time to heal. We know there are times that God has used different seasons and both of those for even positive things in 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 the history of it and so what we need is God's grace to accept each season rather than avoid the ones we think are most painful and what's interesting is you and I will not know how to think truly about God or to walk relationally with others if they're experiencing times we've committed our whole life to avoiding. So it's tough to come alongside people who are in difficult seasons. If we've committed, I don't want to walk through that season, God. I'm not going to receive this season. I'm going to reject this season. And so then ultimately, and with regard even to our sanctification, you'll see in a little bit that it's not helpful to avoid these. It's more harmful. So we need his grace to recognize and receive each season so we will not be resisting what God is using to draw us closer to himself and conform us further to the image of Christ. I've shared with you before about John Patton who went to work in the New Hebrides Islands and, and there he was among cannibals. His wife gave birth to their baby boy and she died and he buried her with his bare hands. He dug her grave with his bare hands. Two weeks later, the baby boy that was born would die And he would bury that baby with his bare hands. Sometime after that, he'd actually be avoiding the cannibals. And he was up in a tree. And he was just reflecting on all of these experiences. And John Patton wrote in his journal later on that Christ met him in that tree that night. And he said he would not change all of the experiences and all of the pain for what God did in his life in that night and in that moment. And this is where you and I need to come to trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing, even in the plain even in the pain, even though we might be prone to want just the pleasurable seasons, he uses the pain in a way that the pleasure won't be used in our lives. Knowing he's in charge though doesn't doesn't mean that these seasons aren't frustrating. We just have to learn to trust. And it's because of two things that, that Susan even said and that the puzzle points to. Number one is this God has already determined the picture, and the picture is Jesus. God is conforming us to the image of Christ. That's what we see in Romans 8. So he's already determined what the picture is, and you and I can actually know what that picture is. And every time you see Jesus in the text, this is what we're being conformed to. So we're not lost without a picture, we know what the picture is. And so he's determined the picture. Number two, he determines the pieces he uses to produce in that picture, to produce Christ in and through us. And he may use seasons in my life that you never experience. And you may experience times and seasons that I never experience. But he orders them perfectly for the picture that he's producing of Jesus in and through us. As Susan said, there's another architect, there's one who has the blueprint, and that's the Lord. I think I put the quote from Philip Reich in there for you, but being in the right place at God's time instead of the wrong place on our own schedule is always best for us. Rather than insisting on having everything run according to our own schedule, we need to learn to trust God's timetable. We need his grace to be content with knowing the when and the what for each season and trusting that God knows the why. So wherever we find ourselves, we're we're praying, God, we need grace to recognize this We need grace to receive this because if we are all honest, there are seasons we've walked through that we would not want. We would reject and then doing that, we work against God. We resist, we push back rather than accepting the grace we need to walk through it, which gets us to another need. We need God's grace to rejoice in each season. And I put four reasons why. Number one, even our pain has a purpose. Number two, all of our trouble is temporary. It's all temporary three, all that is good that we love is going to be greater. There's going to be greater experiences. And then four, whatever season we're in, Jesus is with us. He's with us. And not just with us, but for us. He doesn't just leave us in the seasons of delight. He's with us in the seasons of dread and difficulty. He's there with us. But we get to verse nine and we see ultimately the futility of the seasons. They, um, Stephen Hawking was buried, the pronounced atheist. Did you know that Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 was read at his funeral? He pronounced atheists against God, all of these things, and even the afterlife. And I found that the guy who played him in the movie about his life actually read Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And you'll see that often, but what you don't see is they move on to verse 9. And what verse 9 says is, what gain has the worker from his toil?" What Solomon does is he comes back to the same question he's been asking. He says, we have all of these seasons. What do we have to show for it? We have all of these seasons and and what's there. And what we need to remember is we also need God's grace to understand the seasons are not arbitrary, but neither are they adequate in themselves to provide the long-term gain. That's what he's doing. He's saying, look, you can build or you can tear down. It's not going to provide lasting gain in itself. You can weep or you can laugh, but it's not going to provide lasting gain. You can embrace, but you can't embrace forever. The reason that they are all inadequate, the poetry here is pretty, but there's still a problem. And the seasons do not fully satisfy. Just think about this. How many of you have ever wanted more time in a particular season? How many of you as parents have looked and seen pictures of your children and said, please stay that stay that age for a little bit or slow down you're getting to we want more of a season how many of you look back on life and wish you could extend a season that you had maybe it was a conversation with a loved one that you can no longer talk to or or some glad experience with friends we often want to hold on to something or someone longer than we should and we often want to release things and people we don't like sooner than we should And so the seasons, they failed to satisfy. And above all, they failed to save. Why? Because look again at verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And no matter what seasons of embracing, tearing down, building up, laughing, weeping, no season can ultimately save us from death. And so while they're not arbitrary, they are appointed. They're also not adequate in themselves. And that's what the preacher is doing in Ecclesiastes to show you. They don't fully satisfy and they cannot completely safe. Which gets us then to big truth number two. Even though we don't know everything, God has placed eternity in our hearts so that we can rejoice and do good, knowing he will adorn every season of our life. Verse 10, it says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So he reflects on the seasons and the times and he comes to some conclusions. And his first conclusion is God has a plan that he's working. He's going to make everything beautiful in its time. With God, everything will fit together. There's not going to be a wasted moment from your life or a wasted season or experience I love what S.Y.N. says, God does not abandon one second of life under the sun. God intends us, though, to be like children who trust their parents to know best because they can see what the children can't see, and they know what the children are not yet able to know. I love from the Old Testament, he says, I'm going to restore what the locusts ate. And in the New Testament, he says, I'm going to work everything for your good. You may be in this room and you're in the middle of something that you would say, I don't know how you're going to work this for our good. That gets us back to our trust. We don't have to know how he's going to do it. We can just know he's going to do it. He makes everything beautiful in his time. He has a plan that he's working and he lets us know that there's more. This is an incredible gift. He says he's put eternity in every man's heart, not they can't figure everything out, but they can know that there's more. That should give you hope. For every conversation that you will have with someone this week, you can know that God has put eternity in each one of them's heart. That they know that this can't be the end of things. That there, there's something more that's there. As Gibson says in your notes there, the times of our lives are not the only times there are. And I loved what Riken says, that God has a complete view. All we have is a point of view. And what verse 11 reminds us is he's God and we're not. We constantly have to be brought to that. He is God and we are not. And so while we look around in our limited perspective, he's the ancient of days and he has all the perspective. And so he knows what he's ordering. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So what the preacher comes to after analyzing these seasons is that God is working a plan that we can't see. He's going to make even the difficult times beautiful. He's doing something with that, that there's more, but you have all you need to know right now, which gets us to that last part in verse 12. There's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so here's what we need to know and do now. We need to remain faithful with what we know and not worry about what we do not know. We trust that to the Lord. So he says, be joyful, to take joy. Did you do that this week? Were you joyful? Did you take joy in the Lord? Did you rejoice in the Lord? Did you do good to anyone? Did you do good to anyone in your family? Did you do good to all those with whom you came in contact? Galatians 6, let us do good to everyone. Especially the household of the saints, that we should do good, that this is what god 's given us. He says, "Eat, drink, take pleasure, because these are gifts from God, and what you and I need to do is to drink deeply of these moments because they don 't last forever. Enjoy everything that 's happening around you as part of the loving plan of our heavenly Father first thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen be joyful always, pray continuously. And in all circumstances, give thanks. Because it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We sat yesterday afternoon in in Granddaddy and Riri's backyard. And Granddaddy remarked how he loved it. He loved having the grandchildren swimming. He grilled hot dogs. He just loved that moment. He loved watching LSU win a baseball game. He he wanted to bask in that moment. He hopes they beat Ole Miss today. Uh, But I, I... I remember I was struck by what he said and partly because of Ecclesiastes 3 because you know why it's important to embrace and enjoy that moment because that moment won't be repeated this afternoon that moment won't be repeated again that was a moment and what the, the author is telling us God is in charge of all the big picture things and whatever he's doing we want to rejoice through each season of life and embrace it and while we're here let's be joyful let's do good eat drink enjoy life because these are gifts from god they weren't meant to replace god they were meant to fuel our rejoicing in him which gets us to the last two verses and the futility of the seasons is meant to lead us to the adoration and fear of the lord that's exactly what mitch has led us through in the songs that we've sung today that you are god where was i when the stars rang out that even in the difficult seasons you are with us behold our god who's sitting on his throne all of this is meant to drive us to the thought that we are not God, but he is. And verse 14 and 15 say, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor nothing or anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. God's work is permanent. His work is perfect. And his work has a purpose. His work is permanent and what you and I can rejoice is what I prayed. His work in Christ will never be undone. He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. What you and I do will not necessarily endure forever. Sometimes we have to start over each week because it didn't even endure to the next week. But what God does lasts forever, and of most significance, the work that he's done for Christ will last forever. His work is perfect. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing needs to be taken away from it. He doesn't need a supervisor coming around and saying, well, have you done this a little better? Or have you taken your time here? Or let me give you this suggestion. God needs no suggestions, and let me help you with this. God needs no suggestions about the seasons he walks you through. He doesn't need our counsel. He needs our confidence in Him. He doesn't need our temper tantrum. He needs our trust that He knows what He's doing. His work endures forever and nothing has to be added or taken from it. And it has a purpose. God has done it so that, you want to circle so that, verse 14, that people fear before Him. The wisdom literature in the Old Testament reminds us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, that this is what we're brought to, to be reminded of who he is, a reverent recognition of him, and it leads us to trust him and rejoice in his gifts. And then I love how it ends. Verse 15 is a difficult text to translate, but it says that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. God's going to make everything beautiful including things past that now seem lost or broken in your life. There's some things that seem lost or broken and man, it's gone. it says he seeks what's been driven away. What is past may be past but what is past is not forgotten to God and because he's in charge and lives forever one day all will be well. Every single thing that happens will have its day in court. I want to close by reminding you One day, Jesus came into our world in the fullness of time. It was a right season in which God sent Jesus. And these seasons that you see here, He experienced them. There was a time for Him to take on flesh, to be born. There was a time for Him to heal the sick. There was a time for Him to build up and a time for Him to tear down some of the long held structures of man, not of God. It was a time for Him to laugh with sinners. There was a time for him to weep at his friend's grave. And there was a time for him to die. And this is why it's so comforting for us that we have a high priest who doesn't have a clue about what time it is. Who doesn't have a clue about what season. He knows very well what it's like to walk through difficult seasons. And what it's like to walk through rejoicing and joyful and peaceful seasons. And his promise is though he walked through some of the most difficult seasons alone, he will never let you do it. Isn't that incredible? Though he faced these difficult seasons being abandoned by his friends and even abandoned by the Father, he will not abandon us. I love what Bridges says. I've found more in Christ than I ever expected to want. I've found more in him than I ever expected to want. I want to close. There's a quote from Thomas Boston. I put in your notes there. Each generation has its work assigned by the sovereign Lord, and each person in the generation has his also. And now is our time. We could not be useful in the generations went before us, for then we were not. Nor can we be useful personally in that which shall come after us, for then we shall be off the stage. Now is our time. Let us not neglect usefulness in our generation. And I wrote in an email to you this week, but I hope that you and I will seize the time God gives this summer. I hope you have spiritual goals for you, for your family, and even for this faith family. I hope that we seize the time that we have together. We're sending Casey and Cassie out, which is one more reminder. We will not always be the church at Trace Trace Crossing, that it's constantly in change. And so we want to embrace each time the Lord gives us together in this moment right now. I also want to remind you... Those you'll see this week. Maybe you're going to a Memorial Day barbecue tomorrow. Maybe you'll be with family or friends. For those who are for those who are not in Christ, one day they will be plucked up, and one day they will be broken down. One day they will be put to death. One day they will weep and never stop. They will mourn and never be comforted. They will be cast away forever. They will be lost i pray that we're always gripped by that there's a season that will come for those that are in christ that will have no end and so i pray god grants us the courage and the boldness to speak the gospel with those we come in contact to this week how do we respond to this text i've listed it there for you in your notes first of all we want to say with the psalmist in psalm 31 verse 15 my times are in your hand Would you read that with me? Let's just read that portion together. My times are in your hand. One more time. My times are in your hand. Whatever season you walked into this room with, your times are in his hand. I hope that we will trust God and be confident his plan is for our good. That we will pray for the grace to recognize the season we're in. That we will pray for the grace to receive that season. We'll pray for the grace to rejoice in each season. We will pray for the grace to help others in every season they experience. There's nothing greater than the friend that walks through the difficult season. To be reminded we're not alone. To be reminded that they'll bear a burden together. matter of fact, it's what Galatians 6 says, that we bear burdens together. It means to carry a heavy load for a long distance. And we'll do that. Because we're going to need them to do that for us. We're going to need them to be the church for us. And that's not a quick fix. Some of these seasons last longer than we ever thought they would. But his grace will be sufficient every day of that season. And one of the gifts he's given to you is each other. Lastly, I hope that we will pray for the gospel to advance in and through us, whatever season we're in. If we're weeping, that the gospel will still advance we're laughing that will advance if we're building up that the gospel will advance if we're tearing down if we're planting or plucking the gospel will advance sometimes god leads us through the difficult season because it is only in that season the gospel can advance clearly it can advance in that season in a way it cannot in another so we trust god knows the picture and what a picture it is jesus what we don't want to do is to say we know better of how to conform us to that image. we do not we are not God he is God and we're brought to this to be reminded he is and he's trustworthy he will not abandon us he is for us and in time and may not be in your life it may be after your death but all of it will be made beautiful and revealed what we can just sense, one day will become sight. One day it'll become sight. we'll say, ah, that's what you were doing. So let us be those who beg for, here's what we need to know how, and we're going to trust you with the why. We're going to trust you. If you're in a difficult season, our elders are always willing to pray for you. If you're in a wonderful season, we're always willing to celebrate with you. Any way that we can come alongside, we want to do that. Your prayers, your concerns, they're not burdens to us. Your texts and your calls or your emails, they're not burdens to us. That's what it means to shepherd a people. And at any given moment, some of you are in wonderful seasons and some of you are in difficult seasons, and that's what shepherding is. And we as elders may not be able to discern any more than you, but we know the one who is sovereign over all of it. And above all, we're going to point you back to his presence. So let us not push away whatever God brings into our life to draw us closer to himself. Father, we pray with the psalmist and say our times are in your hands. I pray that you would help us to recognize each season. We pray, first of all, and just say, God, we praise you. That you are sovereign, that these seasons aren't just entering our lives through an arbitrary means, that there's no purpose to our pain. We who've buried loved ones, that there's some purpose. God, we praise you that seasons are appointed and they're not random. We praise you that you know best how to order our lives and we pray for, for, that you would forgive us when we think that we know better. That we don't trust you with all our heart. That we do lean on our own understanding. Please forgive us for that. I thank you that the picture you want to produce in us is Jesus. There's no greater picture. Please help us not to resist you. Please help us not to resist seasons that you bring in but to receive them and then find the grace needed to even rejoice in you through them we may not rejoice in the season but we can rejoice in you thank you that all of our trouble is temporary all of our pain has a purpose and each season you are with us and you are for us thank you that you don't have to work and make it all beautiful in time we're not owed that you've chosen to do that I pray that for those we meet who are outside of Jesus this week that we will be broken that if they never repent they will be plucked up and torn down and cast away and lost and there will be no end to their weeping and mourning there will never be another season of joy for them And there will never be a season of peace. No shalom will come to them ever. So God, I pray more than anything, we would not be silent with the gospel this week. For now is our time. Even this moment is what we have. We we don't know that you'll grant us tonight. So help us to live. Help us to be joyful, to do good to eat and drink and to work receiving the good gifts that you give us but never letting them replace you the giver I pray for those that are in difficult seasons I pray they would open up to a brother or sister here or to one of our elders to find someone who will pray with them to come alongside to bear it together I beg God Don't just inform us by Ecclesiastes 3. Transform us. Grant every grace needed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.